Stevenson, Saranac Lake, April 8, 1888. The Black Arrow, A Tale of the Two Roses. Prologue, John Amend All. On a certain afternoon in the late springtime, the bell upon Tunstall Moat House was heard ringing at an unaccustomed hour. Far and near, in the forest and in the fields along the river, people began to desert their labors and hurry towards the sound, and in Tunstall Hamlet, a group of poor country folk stood wondering at the summons. Tunstall Hamlet, at that period in the reign of old King Henry VI, wore much the same appearance as it wears today. A score or so of houses, heavily framed with oak, stood scattered in a long green valley ascending from the river. At the foot, the road crossed a bridge, and mounting on the other side, disappeared into the fringes of the forest on its way to the moat house, and further forth to Holywood Abbey. Halfway up the village, the church stood among yews. On every side, the slopes were crowned, and the view bounded by the green elms and greening oak trees of the forest. Hard by the bridge, there was a stone cross upon a knoll, and here the group had collected half a dozen women and one tall fellow in a russet smock discussing what the bell betided. An express had gone through the hamlet half an hour before and drunk a pot of ale in the saddle, not daring to dismount for the hurry of his errand. But he had been ignorant himself of what was forward, and only bore sealed letters from Sir Daniel Brackley to Sir Oliver Oates, the parson, who kept the moat house in the master's absence. But now there was the noise of a horse, and soon, out of the edge of the wood and over the echoing bridge, there rode up young Master Richard Shelton, Sir Daniel's ward. He at the least would know, and they hailed him and begged him to explain. He drew bridle willingly enough, a young fellow not yet eighteen, sun-browned and gray-eyed, in a jacket of deer's leather, with a black velvet collar, a green hood upon his head, and a steel crossbow at his back. The express, it appeared, had brought great news. A battle was impending. Sir Daniel had sent for every man that could draw a bow or carry a bill to go post-haste to Ketley, under pain of his severe displeasure. But for whom they were to fight, or of where the battle was expected, Dick knew nothing. Sir Oliver would come shortly himself, and Bennet Hatch was arming at that moment, for he it was who should lead the party. "'It is the ruin of this kind land,' a woman said. If the barons live at war, plough-folk must eat roots. Nay, said Dick, every man that follows shall have sixpence a day, and archers twelve. If they live, returned the woman, that may very well be. But how if they die, my master? They cannot better die than for their natural lord, said Dick. No natural lord of mine, said the man in the smock. I followed the Walsinghams, so we all did down Briarley Way, till two years ago, come Candlemas, and now I must side with Brackley. It was the law that did it. Call ye that natural? But now, what with Sir Daniel, and what with Sir Oliver, that knows more of law than honesty, I have no natural lord but poor King Harry the Sixth. God bless him, the poor innocent that cannot tell his right hand from his left. "'You speak with an ill tongue, friend,' answered Dick, "'to miscall your good master and my lord, the king, in the same libel. "'But King Harry, praised be the saints, has come again into his right mind, "'and will have all things peaceably ordained. "'And as for Sir Daniel, you are very brave behind his back. 
but I will be no tale-bear, and let that suffice. I say no harm of you, Master Richard, returned the peasant. You're a lad, but when you come to a man's inches, you will find you have an empty pocket. I say no more. The saints help Sir Daniel's neighbours, and the blessed maid protect his wards. Clipsby, said Richard, you speak what I cannot hear with honour. Sir Daniel's my good master and my guardian. Come now, will you read me a riddle? returned Clipsby. On whose side is Sir Daniel? I know not, said Dick, colouring a little, for his guardian had changed sides continually in the troubles of that period, and every change had brought him some increase of fortune. Aye, returned Clipsby, you nor no man, for indeed he is one that goes to bed Lancaster and gets up York. Just then the bridge rang out under horseshoe iron, and the party turned and saw Bennet Hatch come galloping, a brown-faced, grizzled fellow, heavy of hand and grim of mien, armed with sword and spear, a steel sallet on his head, a leather jack upon his body. He was a great man in these parts, Sir Daniel's right hand in peace and war, and at that time, by his master's interest, bailiff of the hundred. Clipsby, he shouted, off to the moat house and send all other laggards the same gate. Bower will give you jack and sallet. We must ride before curfew. Look to it. He that is last at the lich gate, Sir Daniel, shall reward. Look to it right well. I know you for a man of naught. Nance, he added to one of the women, his old apple yard uptown. I'll warrant you, replied the woman, in his field for sure. So the group dispersed, and while Clipsby walked leisurely over the bridge, Bennet and young Shelton rode up the road together through the village and past the church. "'Ye will see the old shrew,' said Bennet. "'He will waste more time grumbling and prating of Harry the Fifth than would serve a man to shoe a horse, and all because he has been to the French wars.' The house to which they were bound was the last in the village, standing alone among lilacs, and beyond it, on all three sides, there was open meadow rising towards the borders of the wood. Hatch dismounted, threw his rein over the fence, and walked down the field, Dick keeping close at his elbow, to where the old soldier was digging, knee-deep in his cabbages, and now and again in a cracked voice, singing a snatch of song. He was all dressed in leather, only his hood and tippet were of black frieze, and tied with scarlet. His face was like a walnut shell, both for color and wrinkles, but his old gray eye was still clear enough, and his sight unabated. Perhaps he was deaf, perhaps he thought it unworthy than old archer of Agincourt to pay any heed to such disturbances, but neither the surly notes of the alarm bell, nor the near approach of Bennet and the lad, appeared at all to move him, and he continued obstinately digging, and piped up, very thin and shaky. Now, dear lady, if thy will be, I pray you that you will rule on me. Nick Appleyard, said Hatch, Sir Oliver commends him to you, and bids that ye shall come within this hour to the moat-house, there to take command. The old fellow looked up. Save you, my masters, he said, grinning. And where goeth Master Hatch? Master Hatch is off to Ketley with every man that we can horse, returned Bennet. There's a fight toward, it seems, and my lord stays a reinforcement. 
Aye, verily, returned Appleyard. And what will ye leave me to garrison withal? I leave you six good men and Sir Oliver to boot, answered Hatch. It'll not hold the place, said Appleyard. The number sufficeth not. It would take two score to make it good. Why, it's for that we came to you, old shrew, replied the other. Who else is there but you that could do aught in such a house with such a garrison? Aye, when the pinch comes, ye remember the old shoe, returned Nick. There's not a man of you can back a horse or hold a bill. And as for archery, St. Michael, if old Harry the Fifth were back again, he would stand and let you shoot at him, for a farther than a shoot. Nay, Nick, there's some that can draw a good bow yet, said Bennet. Draw a good bow? cried Appleyard. Yes, but who'll shoot me a good shoot? It's there the eye comes in and the head between the shoulders. Now, what might you call a long shot, Bennet Hatch? Well, said Bennet, looking about him, it would be a long shoot from here into the forest. Aye, it would be a longish shoot, said the old fellow, turning to look over his shoulder, and then he put up his hand over his eyes and stood staring. Why, what are you looking at? asked Bennet with a chuckle. Do you see Harry the Fifth? The veteran continued looking up the hill in silence. The sun shone broadly over the shelving meadows. A few white sheep wandered browsing. All was still but the distant jangle of the bell. What is it, Appleyard? asked Dick. Why, the birds, said Appleyard. And sure enough, over the top of the forest, where it ran down in a tongue among the meadows and ended in a pair of goodly green elms,